Tara, I'm really glad we're getting to talk today because I'm a man, I'm about to turn 35, and it is with considerable shame, I guess, that I have to say that I haven't been to a doctor in at least five years, probably easily more than that. That doesn't surprise me. In fact, I think that's pretty typical for a man your age. Actually, for a man of any age. This is Tara Parker Pope. She's an editor for The Post's health section, Wellbeing. And Tara said men just don't go to the doctor all that regularly. But the story is much bigger than that. The state of men's health is not good. It's not in a good place. And I think the most startling statistic and description of the situation is that across the lifespan, at every age, babies, boys, teens, men, middle-aged men, older men, are more likely to die. They will die sooner than women. Tara says some of this is because of how men live their lives. They're more likely to be in a car crash. They're more likely to be in a pedestrian accident, a bicycle accident. They tend to do more dangerous jobs than women. But the problem is across the board. No matter their ethnicity or their socioeconomic status, men are dying years before women. So in 2021, which are the most recent numbers we have, the average life expectancy for a woman was 79.1 years. For a man, it was 73.2 years. And that's the biggest gap we've seen in about a quarter of a century. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Chris Velasco, your guest host today. It's Tuesday, May 23rd. Today, the silent crisis of men's health in the U.S. I feel like even as I was growing up, looking at like the Guinness Book of Records and all of these other places where you get these kinds of statistics, it's always been my understanding that men just generally don't live as long as women. Has this has this shift surprised you at all? It sounds like we're looking at a bigger gap than usual. I think there is this weird acceptance that men just die younger at any age, and that's okay. The life expectancy gap years ago was much more narrow between men and women. And over time, women's life expectancy has improved. Women have benefited more from the advances in medical care, medical technology, you know, better living conditions. Women have benefited from those gains where men have not. What's happening right now is that the longevity gap is the largest that it's been in about a quarter of a century. So it's not going in the right direction. Given all the amazing achievements we have in medicine, they're not benefiting men. I really want to unpack some of the factors that could be driving this. I remember, for example, being in like the thick of the pandemic and hearing that men were more likely to die of COVID. Is, is that playing a role in this to some extent? COVID has changed life expectancy in general. But it is true that men were more likely to die of COVID. Women are more likely to have long COVID. But the fact that men are more likely to die, the statistic is actually 140 deaths by COVID per 100,000 men. For women, it's 87.7. So that's a big difference. Yeah. Wow. But it's not 
completely surprising. The male species, whether it's a, a human or, you know, an animal, a mammal, is more likely to die of parasitic infection. So, you know, it may have to do with testosterone. Testosterone can suppress the immune system, and that might be why men are more vulnerable to infection. We know with women, they're more likely to get autoimmune disease where they have their immune system responds too powerfully. And that's why more, you know, various autoimmune conditions that can cause chronic illness. So we know there are differences in that hormones, biology certainly plays a role. But that doesn't mean we have to accept that men will always die sooner. You know, we've made a lot of gains in in how we treat women's health conditions. So I, I don't think just because there's a biological factor doesn't mean we should say, oh, we're done. Because there's, there's definitely more you can do. I mean, that's a great point. It really seems like there are a lot of underlying biological reasons that could explain why men don't live as long as women. But there is there is more to it than that, right? Like I mentioned, I'm in my mid-30s. I haven't been to a doctor in a long time. And I promise you, I'm not the only person in my life or maybe even your life who that is true of. It feels like we're maybe more broadly more reluctant to seek help or to go to a doctor. You know, is part of the longevity gap, as you call it, is part of that driven by cultural expectations of what a boy or a man should be doing or thinking about this stuff. There is a lot of evidence that from a very young age, we treat boys and girls differently. And, you know, a boy falls and skins his knee, get up, you're fine. You know, and a girl will often get cuddled. Some of these, you know, cultural norms are changing. And I think that when we talk about this, we have to, you know, we're speaking in a binary but that's also changing, right? But I, I think you can't ignore the culture because culturally we teach our girls to seek health care. And men, we don't really teach them that at a young age. There's not the annual pap smear or the mammogram or there's not the desire to see, uh, to talk about reproductive health as much. That tends to fall on the woman. And, uh, you know, just across, you know, across the lifespan, men don't really start getting the message about going to a doctor till a much later age. So part of it is, you know, masculinity, that sort of cultural norms around masculinity. Part of it is just what we're teaching our boys. And I, I want to add, it's across the globe. It's not just a U.S. problem. You know, men have the power. Men are also discouraged from showing weaknesses. And that hurts women in a lot of ways, too, but it also hurts men. To your point earlier, you know, because we're not sort of teaching boys or because men of all ages are maybe not getting the message to take care of themselves until a little later, that also has sort of impacts on mental health, which we have seen kind of feed into life expectancy as well. Do you have a sense of, you know, what effect depression and, and sort of related mental issues can have on, on overall longevity? We know that men suffer from mental health problems and from depression at high rates. And yet, it's much less likely to be treated. Men are less likely to seek care. In teen boys, depression can look different. It can look like irritability. And parents often will miss it as a symptom where a girl might withdraw 
boy might be difficult or irritable, and it just feels like bad teen behavior when actually it's depression. But I don't think pediatricians and parents really understand these differences. So, you know, among the 15 to 24-year-old age group, among men, suicide went up, I think, 8% in the last period that it was tracked. One of the other issues with men especially is that when they do attempt suicide, they are more likely to choose a more lethal method. And so that is part of the reason why suicide rates are higher in men. But the issue of depression and mental health is something that we can tackle, right? I mean, it's not an intractable problem. We can address it, but there has to be a shift and there has to be an acknowledgement among doctors and among family members that men get depressed too and men need mental health support. And men have to be taught, boys have to be taught that you don't have to be strong all the time and that you can ask for help. But I don't want to blame men. I don't want to make it sound like, well, you know, it's up to you to figure out. There is a structural problem here. One of the deep ironies that it's kind of revealed itself to me as we've been having this conversation is that kind of across the board, if you're a man, there's a strong likelihood that you are going to live a shorter life than a woman. But is it not also true that the studies, the medical studies that sort of, you know, unpack deeper insights into how we live and how our bodies function, like aren't those predominantly sort of done on men? Like they're doing the research on us and we're the ones sort of dying sooner anyway. It, it just feels like there's this kind of a tension there that I don't really understand. I mean, that is a puzzle. And it is true that over the years, men have been more represented in medical research than women. And that often has stemmed from this patriarchal notion that women were really too delicate to be put into medical studies or that you might affect their ability to have a child or they might be pregnant and we really shouldn't bring women into medical research. So I don't want to say that there aren't problems. But what is odd is that men have largely been represented in medical research and they're studying things like heart disease and yet we still don't really understand why men develop heart disease much sooner than women at a much younger age, much younger age. The gap in heart disease and heart attacks starts to close around 70 with men and women. But before that, men have a much higher rate. And when you think about all the research that has been done on men and heart disease, it's kind of shocking. We're not asking the right questions, apparently. We're not approaching it in the right way. After the break, Tara and I get back into the whole men don't go to the doctor thing. We'll talk about some of the structural reasons for that, plus why the death rate is unfortunately even higher for men of color. We'll be right back. I'm Hannah Rosen, host of Radio Atlantic. Wait, really? Every week we talk to Atlantic writers or other creative thinkers, and we take one idea and we road test it. Maybe what I'm asking is, is the problem them or us? Sometimes I change my mind about things. That's such a good point. I never thought of that. Maybe you will, too. Or at least you might see something differently. Ooh, that's fabulous. Radio Atlantic. New episodes every Thursday. A lot of men aren't conditioned from a young age to go to the doctor. I personally do not have this excuse. My mom was a nurse for over 30 years. And mom, I'm just, I'm, I'm sorry. 
But Tara says part of the problem with the fact that a lot of men don't go to the doctor as much is the obvious one. It's that medical issues tend to go on for longer before they're caught, whether it's heart disease or diabetes or depression. So the longer something is not treated and addressed, the more likely it is to have more dire consequences, right? But again, if men had more encounters with the healthcare system, then that might help. You know, women tend to go to the pediatrician even with their kids, and they might say, you know, this thing's been bothering me. What do you think? And they might get a little free medical advice from their doctor. In fact, a lot of women will go to the pediatrician and say, I'm really worried about my husband. He's drinking a lot of water. He's getting up a lot at night. I'm concerned he has diabetes. I actually interviewed someone who had done this and could not get her husband to a doctor. And so her pediatrician gave her the test strips, and she packed them in a suitcase with a note saying, you know, he was going on a business trip. Please just just do this. Just take this test. And he did, and he was finally diagnosed. But it happened through the wife's intervention, through the pediatrician, not because he actually went to the doctor himself. Man, it truly feels like the male approach to medicine and the way we think about medicine is in kind of a severe need of a reboot. And it kind of manifests in these in these behaviors. I know, for example, men are more likely to smoke. I am more than guilty of this. I was a heavy smoker, an enthusiastic smoker for a very long time. And even now that I've mostly given it up, like if I see one or if I'm around people that are smoking or if I've had a drink, I, I will probably have one. You know, what role do behaviors play in, in sort of driving down male life expectancy? Behavior plays a role, but I want to make it really clear that it's not fair or productive to blame men. This is a, a structural, societal issue, and there are culture and environmental factors that explain why male behavior is different, right? Partly it's the way we raise our children, partly it's societal expectations, you know, around smoking and imagery, you know, the image of smoking in men. And so I don't want to make it sound like, well, if men would just do as they should, as their nurse mom told them to do, they'd be fine, because that's just not that's not right. That's not the case. But it is true, you know, there's a structural issue around men, particularly black men, I would say, around stress. And we know that stress is a a very bad actor in terms of our health. And there's a reason that black men in our society have more stress. There's a reason all men experience stress in their own unique way. I think it's clear that black men have a very different lived experience especially in the United States, than white men. You know, structural racism is pervasive, and it affects black men in every aspect of their lives. In the workplace, it can result in, you know, more workplace stress. There's the issue of police violence and just societal violence that affects black men disproportionately. And I think that the day-to-day -day experience of being black in America is very challenging for both black men and black women, cases of mistaken identity. You know, we read these stories in the paper, but it's not just an occasional thing. It is the day-to-day -day lived experience of being black in America. So you have to factor that in when you're looking at black men's health and you're talking about things like heart disease and stroke and high blood pressure. You can't ignore 
the pervasive daily stress of life to be Black in America. I'm glad you sort of brought up the health status of of Black men, because I'd love to talk about sort of longevity as it pertains to non-white communities. What does health look like if you're a Black man or a brown man? You'd mentioned stress being more of a factor. What else is at play here? When it comes to heart disease, for instance, Black men are 30% more likely to have heart disease, 60% more likely to have a stroke. And they're 75% less likely to have health insurance. And that, again, that's going to be a structural issue, right? A socioeconomic issue. So I think when you start digging down into these numbers, it gets very concerning because the gap is there. So that's a gap of 5.9 years. Black men are far more likely to die younger than white men. You know, Hispanic men, you know, men of color in general, Native American men. In each of those cases, there's still a longevity gap with the women in that group as well. So even though overall life expectancy is is lower, the gap is still there between men and women, whatever the ethnic group. So obviously something pretty serious going on, but it's definitely something to be concerned about when we look at Black men and health and health care and their access to health care. It's very concerning. And it sounds like if we want to, on a societal level, kind of address that age gap— it's going to take time and resources and systematic change that does not seem likely to come in the near term. So I imagine there are lots of men and boys and people who love them who are hearing that the age gap is bigger than it's been in quite a long time. And they're alarmed to hear about all this because I don't know that we can count on these sweeping systemic changes immediately. What, if anything, can people do to try and close the age gap? Well, I think that just simply encouraging men to have a healthcare provider, you know, have a primary care provider. One of the comments on the story I wrote, there was a man who went to his doctor and said, I'm here for a physical, my benefits, I just changed jobs, I've got terrific benefits. Could we do some more? <laughs> Could we do some more screenings? Could we talk about a little more? And his doctor said, uh, wait till you're 50, men are easy. You know, we have to kind of train our medical students differently, too, to understand that men actually, men are easy because they don't, maybe they don't ask as much of a physician, but the male body is just as complex as a woman's. But, you know, right now, men tend to seek medical care for two reasons, adult men, for a sports injury or for the Viagra visit. They will seek care for erectile dysfunction, and they will definitely seek care for a sports injury and so that is an opportunity for a man to ask and for a doctor to provide. And maybe if there's a partner in that man's life to nudge, to get a complete physical, to do more at that visit than just treat the injury, to talk about things like blood pressure and cholesterol and heart health. And same thing with erectile dysfunction. You know, that is often a sign of heart disease. Uh, erectile dysfunction is a vascular problem, and it's often one of the first indicators that a man has heart disease. So that's a big opportunity to help him in more than one way. Don't just give him a prescription, but work on his overall health. So, you know, there are opportunities. There's a lot of resistance to this topic because men have a lot of advantages in society. They have more power. 
They have more representation in government and medical research. They have more money. They're more likely to be abusers. And so when we, when we have this conversation that men are somehow suffering or having poorer health outcomes, which they are, it, it can create a lot of confusion because we typically think of men as the baseline, as men having all the advantages, and women are the ones who are suffering, or women and gender minorities are suffering. And both of those things can be true. It is true that men have power, and men have been more represented in medical research, but it's not translating into better health. So there's more going on. It's not just about an economic advantage or a social advantage. And that's why I think some of the people who are in men's health research are so fascinated by it. It's an interesting puzzle, and it's one that needs to be solved because the consequences of men dying at an earlier age are so severe. It doesn't just affect the man. It affects all of those who depend on him. It affects the families and the children, and it can put people into poverty when a man dies at a very young age. So when we talk about protecting the health of men, it's not at the expense of women. And in fact, women will benefit if we can solve this larger problem. Tara, thanks so much for joining. I think I have a couple appointments to make. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. And your mom will be glad to hear that too. <laughs> I'll, I will make sure she knows to thank you for this. Thanks for having me. Tara Parker-Pope is the editor of The Post's health section, Wellbeing. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Jordan Marie Smith and Gabe O'Connor with help from Steph Brown. It was mixed by Sam Baer and edited by Maggie Penman. If you want to show your appreciation for the show, please subscribe to The Washington Post. It's a great way to support the work we do. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe to learn more. I'm Chris Velasco. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.